Well, good evening, Meadowbrook. How are you guys doing tonight? Y'all excited to be here? Would you do me this? Would you please welcome our internet audience for me? Welcome, welcome, all over the world. Uh, well, it is, a, it is an absolute joy to be with you guys tonight. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Jordan, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at uh, Meadowbrook, and I have the privilege to lead uh, C20. I actually had someone come up to me recently, and they asked, what is a C20? Uh, it's a robot on Star Wars. No. Uh, C- C20 is our uh, college and young adults ministry, and I just, I love working with um, 20-somethings. Um, and I am married to the beautiful, brilliant, social animal, Carissa Vale. Um, she, is, she is what you would call the life of the party. Uh, I'm the guy sitting in the corner with the Coke. Um, so I think you call that, that balance. And then I always get this question, we don't have any kids yet, um, but, we, yet but we do have a little puppy uh, named Baxter, who is the most human dog I've ever met. Anybody have like a human-like dog? You're just like, you're a dog. Um, well, it's, it is a great privilege to fill in for the legend, our pastor. Uh, he, is, he is on vacation right now, um, but he does send his love. Every time I get to preach or anyone gets to preach, the first thing I get is an email in the morning saying, send him my love. Tell him I care about them. And you know the truth is, um, he, he really means it. Well, I am, I am what you call a podcast junkie. Um, I love listening to preaching. Now, I love listening to good preaching, and I love listening to bad preaching. Good, the bad, the ugly, I love preaching. That's when you know you're a preacher, when you can listen to any kind of preaching at all. And, and I, I say this with all honesty. Man, our, our pastor can preach. And I... <laughs> I'm not saying that so I can get a raise or anything. Like, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, like our pastor delivers, uh, delivers the word. We are so blessed to have such an anointed teacher and preacher uh, communicate to us each week. So uh, can we do this? Not right now, but at some point tonight, will you get on Facebook or Twitter, and will you just tweet at him saying thank you for who he is, what he's done? Um, here's, the, here's the greatest reality to me. Like, I, I grew up with his kids, and, and the man in the pulpit is the same man out of the pulpit. Like, he is the, the real deal. So can we send him some love, just encourage him at some point tonight? Um, because the reality of it is, uh, pastors, we need all the encouragement we can get. Uh, I really believe that encouragement is one of the most powerful tools that you and I have at our disposal. Uh, so let's wield encouragement often. Uh, will you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're going to get encouraged tonight. Uh, will you look... We look at your other neighbor, which for whatever reasons you rejected, and say, neighbor, you're definitely going to get encouraged tonight. Awesome, awesome. Um, I, I am what you would call competitive. Any uh, competitive people out there? Any really competitive people out there? Like, you're so competitive, you just looked around to see if your hand was the first one up. Um, well, you are my people. Uh, let, me, let me share with you how competitive I am. Uh, In the Vale household, uh, my wife and I often decide things over the uh, classic game rock, paper, scissors. Uh, This doesn't work for everyone, but we found out a few years ago this works wonderful for us. We don't make all of our major decisions like this. But if it's a minor decision, we leave it up to rock, paper, scissors. Uh, So maybe we get home and our puppy Baxter, uh, perhaps he left us a present in the kitchen, if you know what I mean. So who cleans it up? Well, we have another rule called finders keepers. But um, <laughs> that rule is, is out the window. If we both see the present at the same time, we go, okay, here goes. Rock, paper, scissors. 
Another example, if we're lying in bed and, and the kitchen light's on, who turns it off? Rock, paper, scissors. Um, this works really, really well for us because my wife is also competitive, and she had a seriously ridiculous streak recently where every time we played, it's like she read my mind and defeated me. Uh, she kept winning over and over again. Uh, she was the Tim Duncan of rock, paper, scissors, and I was in the Miami Heat. Too soon? I'm a Laker fan. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but when you, get, when you get invited over to game night at our house, it is on. Like, uh, Carissa loves games. Uh, we love game night. And I love when someone is new to our house and, like, they've, been, they've seen us at C20 or church. And we're just like, how's it going? How are you doing? Life's good. But when you get to our house, oh, it's game time. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we are very serious. Like, we're trash talking. Like, we're trying to get into the person's head. It's a, it's a mental game. And it's, it's exhilarating unless you lose. Uh, we, we play a lot of games. And maybe that's how you are. You play a lot of games. Or maybe not now, but maybe as a kid... Um, there were games you played. Maybe as a child, you played Monopoly. Um, I can't wait to play a Monopoly with my future kids. Boom, dad's got all the houses. No, I'm just joking. I won't do that. Well, maybe not. Um, but no, maybe as a kid, you played Monopoly or you played Battleship, Candyland, the game of life. Or maybe you played the childhood classic, Shoots and Ladders. Now, Shoots and Ladders is a really interesting game. Um, there's not a lot to it. It's pretty simple. The object is to be the first person to the top. So you move up by the ladders. Whenever you land on a ladder, you land on a character who is doing a good deed, and you move on up. Now, if you land on a, a shoot, you land on a character who's doing a bad deed. Maybe your character is sick because you ate too much candy. So what happens? You slide further back. And so the goal of the game is to pursue the ladders and to avoid the shoots. The goal is to do good deeds rather than bad deeds. The goal, and listen to this, is to land on the right thing. And so you and I, we are in a series right now called Believe. And what this series is about is is looking at what we think about God. Because what we think about God is the most, beyond anything else, important thing about us. And so Pastor Felder was so important to take this season at Midweek at Meadowbrook and focus on this idea of Believe. And so the title of my message tonight, if you're taking notes, is Shoots and Ladders. Shoots and Ladders. And tonight, we're going to get into the theological concept of the conscience. The human conscience is our internal judge, and it's a a beautiful thing. And we're going to dive into what the Bible has to say about our conscience and what it looks like for you and I to land on the right thing. Uh, Tonight, we want to uncover, are we on the chute or are we on the ladder? Uh, Will you join me as as we pray into this? Father, we just thank you for just the experience of of worship We thank you that what an amazing thing it is that you are our God. And Father, I pray as we come to your word tonight, as we come to this this big idea that that you, Holy Spirit, would be center, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would open our hearts to receive revelation, to receive your truth, and that tonight, Lord, would be a night where we are set free from some, some things. We thank you for how powerful your word is. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I really believe God, has a wonderful sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. If you don't believe me, um, just, just spend some time thinking about some of the animals that he's created. I want to show you a few pictures of some funny animals. If we can put that first one up there. Okay, that, that is an actual dog. Uh, it's called the Commodore dog, or as I call it, the walking mop. Um, can you imagine the things the other dogs say to him? Uh, put up the next one. Oh, I love this guy. (laughs) Uh, That is the Emperor Tamarin. I'm pretty sure this is where hipsters uh, get all their inspiration for their mustaches. 
Uh, and the best part is his, is his name. The Emperor? It's like the Emperor on a Pixar cartoon. Uh, what's the next one? Ah, oh, that's the proboscis monkey. Uh, so so here's, a, here's the deal. Uh, if you've ever felt self-conscious about your nose, just remember this guy. This guy exists. Uh, let's the, uh, throw up that next one. Oh, that's the blobfish. I would be sad too if I looked like that. Uh, and, and last uh, but not least, my favorite, uh, the, that's the tarsier. I'm pretty sure this guy lives at Starbucks. Like you, you cut him and he bleeds. He bleeds coffee. But, but God has a sense of humor. And, and it extends far beyond the animal kingdom because God has a sense of humor with us. Um, I went to high school over at Meadowbrook Academy uh, with Lee Gilligan, maybe you've heard of him, uh, and, and Tim Nelson, who is our junior high pastor. Uh, we also went to college together as well. And when Lee has preached, he's shared some of his stories about some of the shenanigans that he used to get into. Uh, thankfully, I was a grade below him, uh, so it's probably good for my sake because I probably didn't get as, as much trouble. But I still got in my fair share of trouble in class. Uh, trouble for a few things. Talking a lot, uh, being disruptive, and having a smart mouth. Um, it's funny because all three of us ended up becoming preachers. So if you're a teacher, there's a possibility that the smart mouth kid leaning his chair in the back against the wall is someday going to be a preacher. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. And when I was a junior, I was running for chaplain. And we would campaign to get other students' votes. And we would have speeches and we'd have posters put up. And there used to be a school right down the road from us called Hale Academy. Uh, some of you may remember Hale. And um, it was right across the street from CF. And when I was in a junior in high school, I thought it would be creative to have a play on words with my last name, which is Vale, and the school's name, which is Hale. You may see where this is going. So the next day at school, I put my posters all over the place. And this potential chaplain, you want to know what his posters ended up saying? They said... Vote for Vale or go to hail. <laughs> all, all over the school. Uh, I can't believe I did that. Um, but you can, you can probably guess what happened next. I ended up in a very familiar spot, the principal's office. <laughs> uh, the principal has many wonderful roles. Uh, but one of the main roles is the role of judge. The principal must decide what is the right course of action when wrong is done. They act as a judge who identifies and condemns violations of the rule. The human conscience is our personal principle. It's our internal judge. Uh, this is what the human conscience does. It, it decides between what is right and what is wrong. And it leads us toward the right course of action. Hebrews 5.14, it says, it distinguishes good from evil. And so our conscience is that, is that inner judge, it's our inner warning system. And, and please hear this, your conscience is a gift. When we think of a judge or a principal, depending on what side we're on, uh, we may not see them like that, but they're a gift. If you're a principal, a judge, or a parent in here, you are a gift. Because if it wasn't for principals, schools would be absolute anarchy. If it wasn't for judges, our cities would be soaked in turmoil. If it weren't for your conscience, man, I don't know, want to know where I'd be. We would be a wreck. See, the conscience is a wonderful gift from God. And there are a few things that our conscience will do for us. Uh, the first thing is this. It bears witness and confirms. 
Um, throughout scriptures, the conscience is constantly imaged as a witness to something. We see this specifically in Romans 9, 1, where it says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I love this next part. I'm not lying. We wouldn't think you would be, Paul. Uh, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And so when we become a Christian, our conscience begins to positively be affected by the Holy Spirit. And so like Paul, our conscience begins to witness truth. So the more you seek Jesus, the more your conscience begins to witness and confirm what God sees as good and what God sees as bad. And so as we uh, move along tonight, uh, one of the things we're going to get into is how our conscience is like a muscle. And it needs to be worked out. It has to be developed. When we uh, become Christians, our, our conscience is not perfected. This is why uh, Paul talks about the weaker Christians whose conscience wouldn't allow them to do certain things. It's because it needs to grow. So uh, it bears witness and confirms with the Holy Spirit over what is right and wrong. Second thing it does is this. It leads us to act a certain way. Um, It could be described as an aspect of our self-awareness. To deal with a myth, the conscience is not the cartoon of the angel on one side and the devil on the other and the devil saying, Eat another Twinkie. Uh, That's not exactly how our conscience works. But the conscience will lead us to act a certain way. Now, this next part is so key. Your conscience is going to guide you, but it's not a perfect guide. We have to develop our conscience through the word of God. This is why you see people who they go to church, they love God, but sometimes they keep ending up in messes. It just doesn't seem like it's working out. And part of the reason is, is because they've not formed their conscience through the word of God. They've not dug into the scriptures. They've not developed an understanding of who God is. So when we become Christians, our conscience is renewed, but that's only the beginning. We must do the work of developing a healthy conscience. Uh, Most theological dictionaries, they define the word conscience like this. The conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. Now, the real key is the end part. It says what you believe is right and wrong. Uh, the key is where it says it. So, so what we need is a conscience that is constantly being formed by the word of God. So the Bible tells us repeatedly over and over again, pursue what? A good conscience. Pursue what? A clear conscience. And the way we do that is by having our conscience formed, molded, and shaped by the word of God. A third is that our conscience brings conviction. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that. That when we act wrongly... Our conscience brings conviction. It stirs a nagging voice, which if you watch the Big Bang Theory, I like to imagine it's Sheldon Cooper going, Jordan, 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 Jordan. That's wrong. Um, See, what happens is the conscience knows that something inside is tweaked, that the picture is tilted, there's something off. And so God will often use our conscience to bring conviction to our hearts. Uh, John 8, 9 in the King James Version, it's old school, It says, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. Man, I am so thankful that the conscience brings conviction. And the conscience is something that extends beyond Christians. Uh, Romans 2, uh, 14 and 15, it says, For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse 
or even excuse them. And so Paul is telling the Jews that the Gentiles, who do not have the scriptures, still possess a sense of what is right and what is wrong. That's just something that's innate in human beings. A small child, before they even say a word like, go 49ers, um, they have a sense, they know what is, hey, football season's right around the corner. Uh, They have a sense, they know what is right and what is wrong. People in all societies possess a sense of conscience. And you can go to the most developed city in the world, and you can go to the smallest tribe in Africa, and you'll find a moral code. You'll find ethics. There will be some variation, but by and large, there's a lot of overlap. See, in our design, God placed moral judgment in us. Uh, Pastor Tom, he preached a few weeks about, about being made in the image of God, in his likeness. Well, God is a moral being. Therefore, we are moral beings as well. And so on every single make and model, uh, some form of a conscience comes standard. But the fall has distorted our inner sense of what is right and wrong. An analogy would be if you're like me and you wear glasses. If I take my glasses off and you, you walk up to me, you're pretty fuzzy. Not literally. Maybe you are, I don't know. Um, but you're, you're pretty fuzzy until I what? Until I put them on. But if I don't have my glasses on, until you get right in front of me, you're blurry. And in the same way, because of the fall, our conscience is blurry. Our conscience needs to be redirected. Um, but the good news is that even in a fallen state, there's still some awareness. Even those who don't believe, there's still some awareness of who God is somewhere inside of them. And that's why even unbelievers can recognize what? They can recognize evil when they see it. And so this means that our conscience is pliable. Our conscience is like putty. It can be molded and shaped. And it's influenced for good or for bad by what it's fed. See, whatever you're feeding yourself, whatever you are allowing in, whatever is influencing you, that is going to be the primary thing that's going to mold your conscience. And so if you and I, if we want to climb the ladder and we want to stay off the chute, then our conscience must be trained, molded, and shaped by the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 7, I love this scripture. It says, you shall teach them diligently, diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And they're referring back to the idea of the law. See, Deuteronomy is emphasizing that what is taught, what is consumed, is going to be the primary shaping of someone's life. And this includes their conscience. And so because of the fall, our conscience is far from perfect. It needs help. It needs to be in the hands of the right molder. And the question I would ask us tonight is this, is who is molding your conscience. Is the primary molder of your conscience truly the word of God, or is it something else? Because if anything other than the word of God is the primary molder of our conscience, we're going to end up on the chute and not on the ladder. You see, it's, it's possible for our conscience to embrace wrong principles. Uh, you've probably had a conversation with someone where, where they were very against something, but you knew what they were against really isn't wrong. Or the reverse is true. You were with someone, they had no problem doing something or seeing something or saying something that you knew without a doubt is, what, wrong. They were unbothered by it. You see, the conscience on its own is not a reliable guide unless it is directed by the word of God. It is also fully possible for us to suppress our conscience, to ignore its promptings and and stirrings, and, and to continue in sin. And here's the scary part, that over time it can become easier and easier to violate our conscience in the future. That it's possible that even the grossest sins don't disturb us. 
See, for many of us, when we became Christians, man, there was, this, there was this sudden awakening inside of us where all of a sudden we realized there were things in our life or around us or near us that did not represent Christ, that were full of sin, and because of Christ's work, there's this traumatic awakening. But as Christians, if we allow that thing to march in and make ground in our life, then over time our, our conscience becomes calloused. It becomes numb to thoughts of right and wrong. Uh, For the believer, there is such a thing as a seared conscience. This is something that uh, 1 Timothy uh, 4.2 talks about, that if the conscience is over and over again disobeyed, if a a Christian refuses to develop true convictions about the issues of life, then one's sensitivity to moral areas becomes dulled. And we see this a lot in our culture, that there are things that we know are clearly wrong, that, that the Bible is absolutely against, yet even Christians are supporting it. Why? Because their conscience has been seared over and over again. They've disobeyed their conscience. So even as a Christian, it's very possible to become numb to truth. But, and I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the buts in the Bible. One T buts. But, because of his great love for us. But God raised him from the dead. But now he is reconciled. But if Christ is in you, who can be against you? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. But he gave him up for us all. And I love Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love that. I love that. And see, we don't live as ones without hope. Our conscience is not the role of a dice, but by the Holy Spirit, our conscience can be informed, guided, and corrected through the word of God. Uh, recently, I started going back to the gym. Don't be fooled by my buff exterior. <laughs> I don't always work out, uh, but the past couple of weeks, the past couple of weeks, I've been working on my fitness. He's my witness, um, trying to trying to get into better shape. I just want to be healthier. Uh, but one of the biggest struggles I have with the gym, probably resonates with all of us, is consistency. Is getting into a healthy rhythm where I'm in the gym a lot. Uh, one of the challenges is me. I have a great workout, but then comes the dreaded morning and next morning, where I'm just like, oh, woe is me, God. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like I feel like I'm the biblical character Job. Uh, true. St- True story, uh, three weeks ago, I was working on my arms, and the next three days, I was like this. I physically could, my wife literally had to pull, with her full strength, pull my arms straight. I could not bend my arms. (laughs) Um, See, for most of us, the problem we have with working out or running or whatever exercise we do is that we're not consistent. And when you're not consistent, you cannot develop the desired results that you want. You can't grow your muscle. You can't get in better shape. Be healthier unless you are consistent. And so the goal for us as Christians here is to develop a mature, biblically driven conscience. And to do this, we have to be consistent. See, if we want to climb the ladder in our conscience, if we want to have greater clarity, greater joy, greater peace of life, then we have to be consistent. And one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit teaches us is through the Word of God. And the Bible is our spiritual gym. The the Bible is the place we need to come to often to get those muscles stretched. And sometimes, can we be honest, we need to feel the burn. Like when I work out, I don't mind bench pressing. It's kind of fun. I don't mind lifting weights. But I hate using those ab machines. One, because you look ridiculous doing it. You can't look dignified on those things. Uh, um, But two, you're feeling that burn. But if I don't feel the burn, what? I don't get the desired results. You see, it's through the word that you and I are going to have the desired results of a good conscience. 
over and over. Repeatedly, the scriptures tell us that the goal is that you and I would be mature. This is something that often comes up in Paul's epistles. And the way we get to that is by having a good conscience. Uh, going back to the scripture we just read, Romans 12, 2. Um, Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2 says, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We can go to the next part. And this is the part I want us to look at. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so what do we do? We test. And how do we test well? We need the Bible as our guide. See, this is what we're testing against. The Bible, if you will, that's our backdrop. That's what we operate. It's these scriptures that tell us what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And please hear this next part. You cannot have a good conscience apart from time in the Word of God. When it comes, there there are no shortcuts. The shake weight is not going to give you the desired results you want. See, the results only come when you and I are consistent, when we do the work necessary, when we're willing to feel the burn. Now, maybe you're in here and you're, you're tracking with this, but it just feels a little overwhelming when someone says, open the Bible, it applies to your life, go. Maybe you didn't grow up as a Christian. Um, perhaps reading the Bible can be a real challenge. And that's very understandable, man. The Bible is a large and diverse book. Uh, there's a lot things going on there. So questions have to be asked. Like, there's a lot of random stipulations in the Old Testament. Uh, Do they still apply? Are all biblical commands treated the same? Are there different categories? So I want to give us a few things I think that will be helpful as we approach the Bible. And I believe these are helpful guides that will help us direct the Bible as our our formation for our uh, conscience. Uh, The first thing is this. Uh, The New Testament is written directly for the followers of Christ living under the New Covenant. So the New Testament is written directly for us. We are living in the New Covenant. Uh, God made a a new covenant through Jesus. Uh, The Old Covenant, the commandments were written on stone. The New Covenant is written on the human heart. And in the New Covenant, we can have a direct relationship with God. So what does that mean for us? Well, if it's in the New Testament, it applies to you and I. That we're not exempt from anything in the New Testament. If there's something in the New Testament you don't like that offends, um, it's because your conscience needs to be directed correctly. Everything in the New Testament applies to us today. The New Testament, I would say, is our, it's our primary guide. It's our primary director. Uh, the second thing is this. Many details of the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament are either no longer binding or were never meant for everyone. Um, perhaps you've read Leviticus. You know with a name like Leviticus, things are bound to be exciting. Um, but there's a lot of random rules in there. Uh, rules like uh, don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of fabrics. So you 50-50 cotton people? Sinners. I'm joking. I'm joking. Or it says, don't cut the hair on the side of your head. Like, do these, do these rules still apply to us? No. No, there, there are three different kinds of rules in the Old Testament or, or, or laws. You have the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, and the moral laws. Uh, by and large, none of the ceremonial laws apply to us today. And these are rules like animal sacrifices, uh, dietary and clothing restrictions. Um, Then you have the uh, civil laws, and these are more of governmental laws, and a lot of these are still good, and they still apply today. But the ones that are significant for us are the moral laws. Uh, These are, for instance, the the Ten Commandments, and these are still worth following. So this means for us, many of the specifics in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all those long lists, most of those, they do not apply to us today. Uh, Lastly is this. Any one scripture of the Bible must be interpreted against the backdrop of the whole Bible. 
See, a lot of time error and confusion comes when we pick one scripture and we isolate it from the rest. Like we take one verse and instead of looking at it in the context of that paragraph, that chapter, that book of the Bible, we just look at it on its own. See, the Bible is is a very um, holistic book. It's meant to be put together. It's to be interpreted together. That's why we recommend you read widely in the Bible. Um, The temptation for me, at least, is I I have certain books that I love to read, and I just want to read those books over and over and over and over again. But the most helpful thing we can do is to read widely in the Old Testament, to read widely in the New Testament, because that's going to help keep us from error. See, it'd be like this. It'd be like if you were listening to a conversation that someone was having, and you took out one sentence, and you defined the whole conversation by that one sentence. Well, that conversation won't make any sense, because we're not looking at the whole thing together. So... It takes time, and it takes practice. But when we are consistently in the Word of God, our conscience begins to be formed by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is our spiritual gym. It's the place that we must go to often, uh, especially those mornings we don't feel like it. Because ultimately, the Bible is one of the primary determiners of whether we are on the chute or we are on the ladder. If you've been around Meadowbrook for any bit of time, We talk a lot about the importance of of time alone with God. This is a really, really big deal for us. Uh, We believe that it's of necessity for a healthy life. One of the uh, things that our pastor often talks about is he talks about having your spot. Having a spot where you can connect with God. Uh, For me, my spot is on my front porch. Um, That is my place of, of connection with God. And so the first thing I do every morning is I make a nice hot cup of coffee. I believe coffee is the nectar of heaven. Uh, there will be many baristas in the, in the age to come. <laughs> so for me, a cup of coffee on my porch, my life journal, and my Bible, that's where it's at. Um, since high school, I've always done my devotions outside. There's something about being outside that, that connects me to God. Well, a few weeks ago, I was on my front porch and just kind of doing what I normally do, and I was very, very distracted. Maybe you've had a morning like that where you simply just, no matter how hard you tried, you could not focus. And so this for me had been the past couple of days. Um, I had some big ministry things to sort through. I was in the midst of of finishing up my thesis, which I'll be graduating seminary in a month. Um, So there was a a lot just spinning over and over again in my mind. And I was trying to focus on God, but I I kept getting distracted by all these things. And so it had been like this all week. Monday, completely distracted. Tuesday, completely distracted. Wednesday, completely distracted. And so by by Thursday, and really each day, I felt so guilty. I found myself all week constantly apologizing to God. Sorry I can't focus. Sorry I'm not better than this. I felt very, very condemned. And all week I had come to God with a guilty conscience. But on Thursday, something changed. Because when I realized that I was distracted and I kept drifting off, my, my first response again, like the previous days, was to, in the midst of my guilt, in the midst of my shame, just to go back into my routine of, God, I'm sorry. God, I, I, I don't know why I keep doing this. But before I could even say a word, it was like, boom. God was right there next to me. Now, we, we know God is present, okay? But there are certain moments, and at least for me, they're not often, but there are certain moments where His presence is so close. And as my head is down and my my conscience is, is guilty, before I can even say a word, God says, I'm not condemning you. 
I'm just happy you're out here with me. I'm not condemning you, Jordan. I love you. Man, I'm on my front porch, like people are walking by, and I just like burst into tears. And I'm, I'm not a pretty crier, so I'm just like red, I'm puffy, like I got stung by a bee. Allergies, guys. Allergies. Man, it's just, but it's just flowing, and I can't stop. And, and I don't have these moments very often, but, but on that morning, God was so clear to me. You see, what he was doing was molding my conscience. Because I, I came that morning with a guilty conscience. Now, conviction is from God, and sometimes we do feel convicted, and that's good. I wasn't feeling convicted. I was condemning myself, and I came that morning with shame and with guilt, and what God was doing was reorienting my conscience to the proper perspective. God was correcting my internal judge. He was getting me off the chute and back on the ladder. And maybe that's you here tonight, that there is an area or areas of your life where you are on the chute and not on the ladder. And God's message to me was not a letter to one, but it is a word to all that God wants you. He is not condemning you. Even when your conscience condemns you, what he has is love because he wants to step in and bring healing. He wants to step in and redirect your conscience. He wants to get you off the chute and back on the ladder. You see, when I wanted to condemn, God wanted to applaud. I'm just happy you're out here with me. And what I needed that morning was for my conscience to grow. You know, we, we often forget, I think, because we have so many roles. We're grandparents, we're fathers, we're mothers, we're bosses, we're employees, we're caretakers. But before God, we're not any of those things. Before God, I'm not a pastor, I'm his boy. Before God, you're not your vocation, your status, how much money is in your bank, your marriage. You are primarily his boy or his girl. And what we need is our father to step in and to guide us and to direct us. And you know one of the primary ways he does that is through his word. One of the primary ways that our father steps in, that he wants to speak to us every single day, is through his word. I mean, there are these divine moments where God radically moves and radically speaks, but it's his desire that every single day he would step into our life. You see, it's not just the Bible itself that changes us. But it's that our Heavenly Father uses the Bible as a tool to help us to discover what it means to have a healthy life, to have a good conscience, to be on the ladder and not the chute. And your Father wants to speak to you every single day through His Word. And that's what we need. We need our Father to guide us, to direct us. Some days, we need conviction. But some days, we just need love. And it's God's desire to teach and mold us through his word. God's desire is to get us from the chute and back on the ladder, to get us to land on the right thing. Every day, you and I, we have a choice when it comes to our conscience. It's not the roll of a dice. We can decide, are we going to go up into greater clarity, into greater love, into greater peace, or are we going to allow ourselves to stay on the chute? Did you all get anything out of this tonight?